Andres Bilbao is a Colombian triple threat, and that goes far beyond being fluent in three languages. He's a unicorn founder, an angel investor, and a trusted advisor to many entrepreneurs in the LATAM startup ecosystem. He was one of the co-founders of Rappi and reached an impressive $5.25 billion valuation within six years of starting operations. Now, Andres is putting down roots in blockchain as a co-founder of Invert, a company pledging to change the way we do conservation through the power of crypto and NFTs. In this episode, Andres and I talk about fostering entrepreneurship in a team, what qualities to look for in a mentor and advisor, how blockchain and conservation can intersect to shape the future. My name is Brian Reckworth, and this is Latitude Podcast. Vamos Latam. Running the leading startup community in Latin America costs money, but some people are taking notice. So I want to take a minute to thank our early supporters. At Viva Real, we were an early customer of Zendesk. Other companies like Nubank, Loft, RD Station, they all use Zendesk to keep their customers happy. Zendesk for Startups offers Zendesk software for customer service and sales for free for six months. To learn more, head to zendesk.com slash startups. Also, we're really happy to inform that Latitude Fellows now have access to a ton of extra exclusive benefits on top of the six months free, thanks to Zendesk's support of our community. Go to latitude.com to learn more about the Latitude Fellowship and apply. I learned the hard way that lo barato sale caro, if I had worked with Gunderson from the beginning, maybe our company wouldn't have had to pay $100 million in unnecessary taxes because of our corporate structure. We're lucky to have their support along with Kerry Olson and Bronstein Zilberberg in developing one of our first products, Latitude Go. We want the process of incorporating companies in Latin America to be 10 times cheaper and twice as fast. If you're starting a venture-backed company, you can check it out at go.latitude.com. I've been banking with Silicon Valley Bank for over a decade as one of their first customers in Latin America. They're committed to the region and have made great introductions over the years. We want to thank them for their support of Latitude. To learn more, visit svb.com. Now on to the episode. This is fun, man. I remember like, I think I like ran into you I don't know, a few times, but like in an airport somewhere because... Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I mean, that's just the life that we were living in that time. You probably even more than me, even though I was flying quite a bit. So it's great to have you on the show, man. Great, great to be here. And thank you for the invitation. Happy to be here. Listen, so I want to talk a little bit about Rappi, a little bit about LATAM, a little about tech. I mean, you got your hands on a lot of stuff here. Feels like the spawning of all this stuff that's happened from Rappi it's been a real pivotal moment for like the ecosystem because so much entrepreneurship has been built around Rappi, which I want to dive into in a, in a second, since you've been on this journey from kind of the get go. And speaking of being on this journey from the get go, take us through like the first months of Rappi. Like, I know you were in YC, you did that, but like, let's talk post YC, kind of the, the scale, just like you kind of figured out and stuff, but just take us through the early days of just like the, the, the chaos of the early days. Like the early, early days, um, like the inception was basically Felipe wanted to leave Gravility, which is this company that does or did apps for supermarkets. And then he saw that Instacart had raised a bunch of money and said like, oh, we could do that because we were already doing this nifty interface that had the beautiful drag and drop. And so we started doing that stuff. 
And actually, at that moment, I was still in living in Australia. And one day, like my experience was like, Sim calls me and says, dude, we have another business. I'm like, what? And that's how I saw I've actually never told that story. And, uh, and I fly back and, and I discussed with Felipe. And he basically, they, they took a bunch of engineers to uh, La Calera. It's like this yeah. part of the way outside of Bogota. And they cranked out a, a business, like a, like an app right away. And it was, it was all like bare bones. Like say, for instance, the, the way that we optimized deliveries was essentially, it would show every courier within a, like one mile radius, everything. So it's like, the, we call it like the finger wars. People are just updating, updating the app all the time. And that's like how, how you optimize. And for the longest time, though, it's way more optimal than whatever it's like that you could build. Um, but then the reality is that when Rappi started, it started with supermarkets. And our app was really good visually, but behind it, there was like nothing behind it. And it was, I would say above, like, not above, but like before its time. And it didn't grow at all. And we're going to go bankrupt. And then the, the idea sparked that we should just put some of the best restaurants in the app. And as soon as that happened, it just blew up um, to this day. It's kind of like a mini pivot in, in one respect, but we, we always kept the supermarket business. And that's roughly how from the get-go is was like a, like now they call it super app, but it's like a multi-purpose app from the beginning. But, but, but mostly because we started with the wrong vertical. <laughs> I, I remember being in Madrid in 2016 and it was Sebastian and, and Simon. And I remember they were like walking around this, like we were at Endeavor, like going through the Endeavor process and they had their, like their iPad and they were just like showing the grocery store. Like it looked like you were walking into a grocery store and you could like. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was like a UX that was never, it never caught on because like really hard. Cause the, the biggest challenge is the inventory. So you like like no one ever figured out how to have beautiful 4K like whatever images that would update automatically. Just just having like the right product with the right photo in itself is just like a nightmare. So we, we had to kill all of that and do something completely different at the outset. But but yeah, that stuff that you saw it's actually very much the inception of or or it's, or it's more so a like a tribute to everything that Rappi does. Everything that Rappi builds is, is visually super beautiful. And, and that was like that. If, if you were to look at that interview, I'm pretty sure that when you saw it, it looked gorgeous. Now imagine we were doing the same stuff for like five years. Like it was gorgeous. But it just didn't work on back. Essentially. You know, I think there's a couple of things to unpack here. Like grabability was another project and then it evolved. And like in Latin America, a lot of these companies have started through like these like development shops or like, I mean, yeah. imaginamos in Colombia, right? Like a lot of this stuff was just building products for other people. And then yeah. was there a moment where like people were building products and, the, and then like you think that people started realizing like, why, why am I building this for other people? Like, what do you think has happened in Latin America where there's been that shift where people internalize the challenges? So actually, I don't have that much visibility. I, I could speak to the stuff that we did. Like, Grability was incubated out of out of Imaginamos, and Rappi was incubated out of Grability. Like, at one point, I tell people a bunch of that. At one point, Sebas and my job was to not let Simon and Felipe take all the engineers and bankrupt both. Right? Yeah. Like, that was, that was very much a... We would have discussions, Sebas and I, like, what are these fuckers doing? Like, dude, they're going to keep with this crazy Rappi thing. Like, what is this? As particularly like the early, early, early uh, days where the math didn't add up even on paper, you know. And um, 
but so I can speak to that. It, it was it was kind of like that, but on the like what everyone else is doing, I don't know. Maybe if I were to hypothesize, I think that some folks have seen the opportunity and the value that is created via and the impact via just creating product companies as opposed to products for other people. And then also when you're building a business, like there's there's one thing it's like building an app, but there's a very different thing that's actually building a business. You know what I mean? And totally. um, and people think like, oh, I'm going to build an app. You're never building an app. You're building a, a business. And I guess that whenever you think about it that way, it's natural that you have to like gear your whole organization towards that, right? So like when you're serious about something, you don't, you don't just build like a piece of software. You have to do the whole thing. You, you, got some, you, get some, you get some real Bogota traffic there, or is it Sao Paulo traffic? No, it's Bogota. I, I think it's because it's, there's going to be a game soon, so there's a bunch of people honking. That's why you got that jersey on, right? That is why. <laughs> nice, man. Well, thank you for making the time, uh, despite uh, football. I know that's important. So I wanted to kind of double-click on a few things. So you guys are, you, you got through that initial phase, then you guys raised a fair amount of money. I want to click on two things because in order to do what you guys did in the early days and to scale and go into hyper growth, there's a couple of things you need. You need capital and you need people. You guys were exceptionally good at bringing on like incredible talent early on. What was the key to that? And how were you able to find so many different people that had this kind of entrepreneurial spirit and hustle? And what was the secret sauce there? I think the biggest credit there goes to Simon. A bunch of us helped build and a bunch of us like did a pretty good job in, in recruiting. But Simon was like the first who from the get-go, he always had a lot a lot of clarity of having like the best people, the best people, the best people always. But there's not a, a gross lie in what you just said. So like this all these many different people. It's actually all the same people. There's because we essentially hired every top person that we knew, with very few exceptions. Like my brother and, and like two or three more who never actually like, you know what I mean? So it's, um, you would see that we had, would find these pockets and there was like a whole bunch of people from Cali, my hometown, because we knew yeah. a bunch of them. And then there's a whole bunch of people from Barranquilla because we are one, this one top person from Barranquilla and hired a whole bunch of his friends. So it was very much like a, like a club, if you want to call it that. Um, and that's, and that's how we, how we did it. Just hiring the, the best people that we knew, not so much. But then further down the line, we started expanding the scope. Um, and I think that naturally, Rappi was quite appealing for people who wanted to do something really cool and large. They were not so much driven by sitting in a fancy, in, in a fancy um, like they were up for the for the grind. Particularly in the early days, there's like a ton, ton, ton of hyper low cost grind. And people were like self-selected into that. Yeah. Let's talk about, I mean, fast forward several years here, but you know, the pandemic hits and I remember like I was in a bunch of board calls, meetings with, you know, teams and my company. And I remember like the intensity of those, of that month, first month or two. And at which point did you realize that Rappi is obviously affected by this, but that probably this would be a massive accelerator for growth because maybe it wasn't clear the first month or two. Tell me about how you guys process that information and how you reacted during that time. So, you know, it's, it's actually interesting because at the beginning it was quite scary, in particular to our restaurant business, which is the largest business, where we would look at benchmarks in different parts of the world. A lot of them, when we started hitting here, had dropped 
dramatically and not pick back up. What ended up happening is that it would drop and then it would pick back up. And then like in most, most countries, deliveries of food were, had become like essential service, which is fine, right? But at first it was scary, like truly scary. Um, and then the way that we reacted on that one, at least I, I was running supermarkets or like what we call CPGs, which is super hyper express, liquor, pharma, all that stuff. Um, and the first thing that, that we did was just do kind of like a call to arms and, and all hands on deck and made it really clear that this was one of the few times where we could very directly impact and positively um, stuff like social distancing and, and enabling people to take care of, of each other. So we just started working straight and we worked for like three months straight every day with dailies and, and whatnot. Um, we did a whole bunch of work with the supply. We did a whole bunch of work with inventories, with the app. Like we did a ton, a ton, a ton of, of work and everyone was very, very committed. Um, but it was it was very similar to the early days at Rappi. Like how do you process that information day to day? Like just day to day. So it was it was crazy and it's got a crisis moment, but Rappi is really good at crisis moment. Because we had so many, right? And like you should, you should never be that good, but but we ended up becoming quite good at crisis. Well, crisis is it's definitely not a foreign word to most founders and most startups. I want to go back to the team real quick and almost a week doesn't go by where someone from Rappi has started a company or someone connected to Rappi or an early employee. Talk about kind of that culture and why like it spawns such a, a deep entrepreneurial culture to come out of Rappi. What do you think? What can you attribute that to? It's because of the ask. It's because of the daily asks that people face. So essentially... Like at Rappi, people were asked to do impossible things all the time, all the time. And then just doing stuff that you didn't think that you were able to do systematically um, became kind of like the norm. So it became quite, quite, um, I think it became quite natural that people would be like super resourceful. They were also very biz dev driven. Rappi is a very strong biz dev org. And a bunch of the people that, that you see are pretty good at, at BizDev. So if you have people that are used to achieving impossible stuff all the time, right, and are able to close great deals and have that ambitious and that ambition and love like the early stages and all that stuff, um, it, it became quite natural. And, and you know, it's interesting because it is prolific. It is. Like, it, it's definitely something that's kind of like, super strong. But I guess that the, the final part is that there's a ton of role modeling. So people see it and they think that, that they can do it. Um, and in Rappi, there's, is there something, actually something that's quite important about Rappi, and the reason that I'm writing this guy, I've never thought of this deeply, right? But there's this stuff about Rappi that is quite, quite useful, which is the fact that in Rappi, we have like senior people. Like when you want, when you want to hire someone in a top, top role, this is a super senior person that's already done it or an entrepreneur? Always. We, we hire one of two. And entrepreneurs are hyper-valued at Rappi. Like if someone started a business and they're okay or well or not so well, like we value them way above and beyond your average Joe. Um, and I think that feeds a lot into the into the culture. Everyone wanted to be that. You know what I mean? 
And so I, so I, I think that has to do something with it. That's why I never thought about this deeply enough to give you like a three points that this exactly are now. But I, I think that those are some contributors. Makes sense. And it's hard because I think that you attract the right people because you get people that are doers and execute. And it's interesting you mentioned that you threw impossible things at, at people. Tell me about that. And like, how do you see people being able to stretch beyond what they think they're capable of? And where do you draw the line on from like, hey, craziness to like, can people just rise above? And how do you think about that when you're talking about like being ambitious and, and setting a leadership kind of a role? You know, I, I think that's what we call like the, la locura, like the madness. Because we, we, always, we always had goals that were absurd, but like, ups, like absurd. So I'd say, for instance, when we closed the round with Sequoia, I think we had something like $4 million in GMB. Our goal was like 10, 12. We came nowhere near where we where we wanted to be in terms of, of the goal. And as someone like the goal was so absurd that if we had six like if we had six hit like six million, we would have run out of money. Because of the unity code of like, like the way they were set up. So it's like, it was just, it was just like typical that we would just say something ridiculous and just go for it. Um and I'm talking about the really early days. And then think of like Simone having the sorry about the traffic. It's, I think it's some traffic there, but think of it like this. Is Simone having the highest level of madness? And then this level of madness watering down a little bit, but it still trickles down. And obviously there's some benefits when you're like a CEO or you're some person who doesn't execute. It really is easy to ask for shit. If you, if you actually have to execute, everything's like a pain. Because you're thinking more stuff to do. Like, how do I do it? Like, you know what I mean? There's this natural tension. But, but Simone in particular was very effective at asking for crazy stuff. And then eventually we would all ask for crazy stuff. Um, and we would achieve crazy stuff like 35 minutes or free or um, like getting restaurants to pay for advertising like that had never been done in, in anywhere around here. And we got 6% of the GMB. I got to that number and then it came get to like 12 from zero to six in like eight months. We needed to improve all this bunch of stuff and want to improve the value proposition or we increased unit economics from minus two to positive 30 cents in like nine months. I thought that she was going to take us like two years. It was, it was crazy. So, so we would achieve craziness. And one is because of the ask, but the other one is because of the paradigm. Like we had to do it. So when you have to do it, like you should do it. You know what I mean? So, so I, I think those were the two biggest drivers in, in that sense. Like the huge crazy goal at the beginning and then you just have to do it. Like there's no, and you just got it. Or you run out of money and you die. Death knocking on your door is a pretty strong motivator, right? Like, like there's actually so. a story about that. There's this one time that I was um we we were doing poorly after a while, like we were doing like six months quite poorly. And I tell Fancho, dude, the Fancho Fabiola, the founder of Iwana, and I tell him, dude, we, we're having this like big trouble, like holy shit, we've gone on crisis. And he goes, Great. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? What do you mean great? And he goes, no, Rappi's fantastic crisis. And he's absolutely right. I mean, like, we just figure it out. But it, it's it, at the beginning, I said, like, one crisis after crisis, and we would just stand up and race up to the, to the challenge and survive because we almost died, like, five times. The amount of resilience built is pretty incredible. I think that's also probably, going back to my question about entrepreneurship, 
and why there's been so much entrepreneurship to come out of Rappi. It's because when you are faced with you know something that is intimidating and and potentially a threat to your life, and you've fought and you've survived, you a bunch of times, a bunch, a bunch of times, like always, it. always. You, you, you develop a new kind of sense of of self, right? Like I can I can slay the, I already slayed this dragon once. I'm going to come back. And it's three-headed this time, and I'm going to go back again because I know we can do this, right? You know what's the framing? But in English, you would say, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Like, there's all, like, we'll figure it out. And in Spanish, we say, algo nos inventamos. Alguna cosa nos inventamos. So yeah. we, we come up with something. And that's very typical. Maybe it's, like, just a, a way of allaying yourself and, and like, chilling and coming up. But it's, um, that's, that's the, the wording. Algo nos inventamos. It's, 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 it's having a kind of an optimist a look at things like you have to have as an entrepreneur because, you know, there's moments of, of craziness, la locura, as you said. Yeah. And, and there's, and there's always, it's always improbable, right? Your business, our business, the stuff that we do with my brother and a bunch of those businesses, they're miracles, man. It's like yeah. shocking. If you think of it, it's, it's kind of like shocking that that kind of stuff happens and it's like super unique. Um, and, and you, you become very used to, just doing stuff that it can be done, allegedly. And that's and that's actually one of the reasons why when we when we recruit, I, I have a very tough time with bankers and I have a very tough time with some well, some bankers and some consultants. Because because they're, they're particularly in banking, you have this training that markets are efficient. And if markets are efficient, no one makes money and no deal makes sense. And in a startup, you need to close a whole bunch of irrational deals. Like a startup is just a suite of at least at the beginning, it's three, four, five irrational deals. No one should give you money. No one should come work for you. No one should buy that shit. But you still achieve all of them, right? And when you think of, of uh, bankers, like, and you have this very strong efficiency view, it, it just it just kills you because nothing nothing's possible, right? So just like yesterday when you were you were you were running this this great um, angel project, and we and we listened to Fabrice Green double like an hour. He just clearly stated how the work that my brother and I do is impossible. Like it doesn't exist. Like we all make beautiful returns by helping wonderful entrepreneurs and seeing very few deals. You just like, according to him, it can't be done. You know what yeah. I mean? But now imagine that in training for years and years and years and we get into an industry and then you bring this person on and you go tell them how that restaurant closed for 25% commission and give you 12% ads. Like now it can be done. Because like you're rational efficient, right? So yeah. that's what I call the locura, like the craziness. Like you think it's possible, you just need to. And if you believe it, your counterpart believes it, and then you can sell anything, anything. Do Do, do you think that the best entrepreneurs are a little a bit delusional? One hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent, and not just a little bit, significantly. Yeah, dramatically. It's like I always use the example of Trump. Right, he would have to be crazy to think that he could be president. Just one like a year earlier, he's being mocked like crazy by Obama and everyone else in the, that um the ball that they do White House ball or something like that. They're yeah. like mocking the fuck. and but yeah, the guy in his delusion was kind of completely convinced he's going to be president. He pulled it off. And when you think like what was that that movie or that documentary of like a, a a festival that's just about the, the fire festival. The fire festival, dude. The difference between that dude, 
yourself and I, is not very strong. It's like quite light, quite tame. And then instances, he almost pulled it off. You know what I mean? Like, like you think he was going to pull it. He, he was missing like six months of proper training and of, of time and a better team. But pull that thing off. You know what I mean? So yeah, his execution was lacking. It, it was very lacking. But but on the on the dilution front, do what makes you think that you can build this stuff that millions of people are gonna like? What makes you so special? You know what I mean? You have to be quite delusional, naturally, one hundred percent. You mentioned you and your brother, which, by the way. I'm doing back-to-back Bilbao interviews. I don't know if you've talked to your brother, but... Oh, no, I didn't. He didn't, he didn't tell me. He probably next, doesn't know that Colombia's playing right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing it today. I'm doing it next oh, week. Okay, okay. So okay. it'll be two back-to-back Bilbao. And in Brazil, we would call that Bilboins, but um, the plural <laughs> Bilbao. You guys have been... You mentioned some of your investing and the kind of the wisdom of investing is that, you know, you see lots of deals and you make a few bets and you, you know, you have kind of distribution across... You've done something different. I think that you have a unique advantage because of your sourcing capacity, because of the success that you've had and the network you've built in building Rappi. But talk a little bit more about your kind of investing philosophy and how how you've been able to kind of, you know, make some some good bets and w- what do you see there? So it's, it's actually three things. It's, it's those two that you mentioned, but there's, we also have a pretty good eye for, for entrepreneurs being entrepreneurs ourselves, right? Um, but... We have three kinds of businesses, right? We have, or investing, we have the stuff that we dedicate our mind and hearts and soul building the business from my brother's business through Oda. For me, for a really long time, it's Rappi, and I'm working on something new. Um, so, so it's like your business. Then we do these opportunistic businesses, investing, two types of investing. One is opportunistic, where dude, some guys call us and, and they want us on the cap table, we can add some value, but it's very much like your typical angel investing that is not that involved. Um, and, and we've done like 30, 40, maybe a little bit more of those investments. And then there are some that more often than not are our friends that we know really well and that sometimes they're on the fence about doing a business and, I, and we know that they're exceptional, like exceptional. You, you know how there's some people that, you know, are like quite inevitable. And um, we're lucky enough to back Fancho, to back Maria, to back Aparicio, right? And, and Julian in, in on top in, in quite a few, in, in with three. And we've done like eight or nine of, of those. And I guess that we do, one of the reasons that, that we've been so successful is because we recognize the talent. There's something that we do for many of these entrepreneurs is that we we believe in them like very deeply and our philosophy is very much around helping our friends achieve successful businesses and people that we care about. So fine, there's like a great return, but if Trumana went to shit, my concern would be financial, not the cash. You know what I mean? And because it's just us with our time, our network, our money, we, we're not friendly it's our friends. You know what I mean? So, so we don't have a distributed, like, ah, oh, this one's going well, so we'll spend more time. We, we have like a whatever it takes. And early on, we can do a lot of help without that much effort. So let's say, for instance, for some companies, I'll give them my LinkedIn. 
and they start reaching out to my LinkedIn. There's like eight people that use on my LinkedIn. And they start reaching out to a whole bunch of people. And that gives you like really high conversion. You know what I mean? When, when you're trying to recruit talent. I didn't do much, but it, it adds a ton of value. Or let's just say sometimes I'll help them close people. And I'll help them close a bunch of talent. So let's say, for instance, for Fancho, I hired the, the first engineers. And I put this company so he was able to hire them. With Mooney, um, I hired the most like a bunch of the people in Brazil for the first team. And some didn't work out, but like, like a lot. So it's very involved. And my brother in particular goes to very, like goes to length in helping with the fundraising at every stage. And you know, you know how crushing it can be to do fundraising and the level of vulnerability that you have when you're fundraising. And it's kind of like the most stressful time of your life. So if you take out um, family and that kind of stuff, like you will never face more stress. And here's Daniel as a thought partner, right? Helping you out, um, doing the connections, a little bit of hyping where needed, you know? So so because we do this stuff that is super involved um, and then we do stuff like we do a board seat, right? For the founder. Oh, we're basically there too. Execute the founder's will, man. It's not like we don't have fiduciary duty, you know. So, so there's a whole bunch of we like this weird ass hybrid of like we're friends and we help out a ton and we're able to provide value and we're there in the fundraising. And when it's not that many, and if you ask the founders, they they love us. Like it's it's a great great deal. It's it's not um like the, the, the best way now when, whenever we're looking at someone that we want to back that way we have them talk to three or four of the folks that we've spoken with and it, it works really well the thing is naturally that it's not as scalable and that it doesn't add as much value as doing one to many sorry let me let me hang this um, so that's why um, that's why I like a lot what you're doing with um, with Latitude in terms of of it's like helping out um, to many people. And that's why one of the reasons that we're doing, now we're working on a podcast that where we're trying to compile some of our teachings so that at a minimum we'll share with the people that we're interacting with. Um, but at most it'll be like one to many. So like share the, the, the little or a lot that we learn along the way. Cause, cause there's, there's, there's a ton of value in, in in touching a bunch of people and some people get inspired, some people pick some learning thing. And I've always told people life is too short to repeat other people's mistake. And now there's hindsight. We, collectively, we have hindsight. You have it. We have it. Um, yeah, so the amount of, amount of information available today is compared to, you know, five, 10 years ago. About, yeah, it's insane. That's really cool. So, so just to recap, so you've got the angel investing that you do, uh, more passive. You've got, uh, you know, kind of the company building model. You're dabbling in some, some new things. And, you know, it seems like kind of the, I did get a peek at your calendar, I think, when you sent me over when we scheduled this. And I saw, I saw, the word, I saw the word crypto, blockchain, NFT, I don't know, three or four times in a couple different meetings. So, I assume that's kind of where you're putting your energy. Can you talk a little bit more about kind of a bit of the rabbit hole you've gone down in the last couple of months? So I'm fascinated by what's being done and what's and the possibilities of crypto. 
uh, possibilities of the blockchain and, and what's happening with what they call now Web 3.0. And, and um, although I was quite familiar with a bunch of aspects of it for quite a while, I never got into it. We were quite busy at rapping. We just didn't have time to like dabble in whatever. And, and as soon as I saw the opportunity, I recognized very clearly that this is an area that I very much enjoy learning about and that it's just massive and the transformation is massive. So for me, it's quite obvious that whatever I was going to do had to have like a significant portion of that. And for the last year, I've been dabbling in a whole bunch of stuff. I've mined stuff with helium. I've gone into art stuff with NFTs around art. I've looked into gaming and the metaverse and we're looking at tokenization of land. This in addition to trying to build a business that has that contributes to the to the world and, and the way that we're looking at it is through the environment. But the thing is, I'm kind of doing a random walk in some respects. Like I'm doing a business, but at the same time in parallel, I'm doing kind of a random walk because you because the, the rabbit hole is very deep, but it's also very wide. You know I mean? And that's why you see a bunch of meetings with disparate people. And Friday, I'm talking to some dudes around DeFi, right? And, and there's just way too many angles. Um, and eventually, we'll, we'll come up with something quite tight. But I'm in a very uncomfortable situation where we're starting a business from zero and we don't have product market fit. You know what I mean? And, and we'll achieve it and we'll figure it out. And, but it's, it's just very different. And I hadn't been in that for a while. I, like, I've been always in a run like crazy because you're going to kill the competition with sheer speed. Right? So it's, it's been interesting. And at times, I think, and this happens to all entrepreneurs, right? I think, at times, I think, like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, it's not necessarily like, why do I put myself in this situation? And then at times I think, dude, I'm so proud that I'm into this and I'm like actually doing this stuff. And like, and at times I'm, this is going to be fantastic. And when I tell my brother, like the lows, he was like, ah, that's normal. You kind of like pass him, you know, because everyone goes through all of those. And, and over the last six months, we've been at that. In my book, I wrote entrepreneurship is like a roller coaster, kind of, and it's you're, the best day and your worst day is the same day, right? Like it's that's the same that's day, how, dude. It's the same day. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's like being depressed, <laughs> and very moody, yeah, like bipolar, more like bipolar, I think. Yeah, it's it's intense. I mean, and how do you go about ideating? I mean, what's the what's the process of ideation for you? Um, so it's uh, Rappi in particular is just a whole bunch of. It's not actually, I, I was going to say hall or water cooler conversation, but actually a shit on WhatsApp. So people see stuff and they send it in the groups and they have many discussions and send it in a group, not many discussions and send it in a group and they have some calls and then some random topic will show up and we should be doing this stuff. And kind of like a consensus is built via WhatsApp. And then people start like, we absolutely need to do this stuff, right? Um, and then sometimes there are some sessions that are around a lot of the best ideas come from just sessions where we need to grow or we need to do achieve X. How the heck do we do this? And it's just ideation, 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 and execution, ideation, execution, ideation, execution. And then some great ideas pop up and that's where some of the best marketing or product stuff we came up with was with that, but sheer necessity. So, so it's, it's those two. Looking at the market and interacting via WhatsApp, we're having this very structured, the fuck are we going to do? <laughs> and that's how we, we do it. In this, this time around, um, I look a lot around the market and see what's happening. And then I get a, we see some insights and, and we have different viewpoints. And, 
And then we try and make it all together and try and pick one. It's quite hard when you're when you're trying to do the zero to one that you don't have a real benchmark. So or, or, or a fake one even. So so yeah, that's, that's how we're doing it now. Yeah, building something from zero without any ins- like inspiration of another idea, it's it's really hard to come up with like u- a unique idea. Yeah, it's really, really hard. But then you, but you just, just try stuff and try stuff and stuff. And we'll see. Hopefully, I'll succeed and look back on it and, and give you a bullshit formula. But, but I guess you just try a whole bunch of stuff and something sticks. And the stuff that sticks, you just triple down. Yeah, when I was, I took a course at Stanford. Kazakh took everybody to GSB. And, and I remember there was a phrase that I recall you mentioned like kind of looking back and there's actually a, a term for this, which is retrospective rationalization, right? Oh, yeah, which is bullshit. You explain how much of it's random. Basically, it's like, you know, you got here and you put all these, connect all the dots as you look back. But the reality is when you're in the mix and you're you're in the thick of it, you're just lo inventamos, right? Lo inventamos. We're just, we're just making it happen. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and you get really lucky. Like right now, me an example of the random stuff that I've been involved with recently. I'm, I'm helping this team put out this game called Mouse Hunt. It's play to earn, Mouse Hunt, as in Hunted. And it's run by this guy, Pedro, who's this exceptional dude. And there's these other guys like Caio and, um, and Antonio who I just randomly met in Kumbuko, where I live. And, and, these kind of, and, 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 and we did this stuff where we were learning how to do high... And, and how to launch these games. And, and it's kind of part of the learning that I'm applying to the stuff that we're building. Dude, and it's so random, but I'm learning like crazy about an area that just that it's like another rabbit hole in itself. Um, I'm, I'm Kumbuko out of all places where I end up living. It's kind of this beach town in, in northeast of, of Brazil. Um, and as we incorporate all this stuff and we talk in like six months and I tell what, what I'm doing, you'd be like, dude, you're crazy. But it's because we we just iterated a whole bunch of stuff and we came across some great people and it was like serendipitous and and hopefully we'll we'll come up with something great there. But that, that like that one project, who the heck would know that be helping a team launch a game, you know, play to earn space, even like three months from now. You know what I mean? And you'll see that that will somehow plug into the business that we're doing because um, it informs the what we're up to. Yeah, that's it's just crazy. You're right, taking explanation when you look. You're back taking a lot of pieces of different things, and and that's I mean that's how things are built, right? I think James Courier calls it new energy. James Courier from NFX, and where you take an existing idea and you breed new energy, and that's some of the best examples of companies, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And, and we'll see, we'll we'll see where where we end up. But but it's very exciting and exciting times. I, I recommend everyone to look into the space and to and to go into it because stuff is changing like crazy, like crazy, man. The speed of in that space, particular and everything crypto related too, is it, the pace is unbelievable, right? Like what happens in three months is, you know, if we look back to two years ago, even three years ago, and look at where we are today, it's the fastest moving space there is, right? Yeah, and it has to do with the fact that it's all being built, and it's very. And you know what's the thing? The real reason I got into this, or not the real, but one of the main reasons is because I didn't want to be. I'm 37. I didn't want to be 40 and a grandpa. Like a technological grandpa, you know what I mean? And where I wouldn't know what a wallet was, I could not do like get into any DeFi work, or, or I I would not understand that NFT, or I wouldn't just 
see the value in just all the rails that are being set up on minimal cost to transfer um, wealth. You know what I mean? So, so that, that was one of the motivations why, like for me, it was so, so obvious to get into this stuff. Um, and I remember I was having that discussion with my brother, right? And I kept pushing, like, dude, dude, spend some time on that, put some research, get to her to look into some of that stuff. And he goes, dude, I don't know shit about that. And I told him, like, dude, it's not 1995 and you don't know shit about the internet. Is that going to stop you? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> we just start doing that kind of stuff. So that's, that's a little bit of a, of the thought process. More so than the amount of wealth that is being created is the amount of, of value, you know what I mean? That that just, just blows my mind. Yeah, because a lot of this stuff will disappear, just like the internet, you know, yeah, in the early yeah. days. But if, if you think of the generation that was that first Web 1.0, I mean, they built the Web 2.0, right? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. like you, 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 don't, you don't build on top of something just randomly. Usually you're, you're part of it. Uh, at least you have a better orientation and idea for it. Have you minted an, an NFT? Yeah, of course. You've done that a couple of times. So tell me about the process of that. Well, you essentially, just like what's most important is that you look at the projects. Well, actually it depends. It's like there's some stuff that you're really passionate about and you want to be involved and you go in and, and you send some money and you, and you mint the stuff in, in, as part of the project. But there are some that are more around like we, for instance, created this gallery that enables, um, like we're, we're, we're actually commercializing this art where a portion of the, of the revenues go to uh, helping protect the environment. Like that's one of the experiments that, that we've been running. And in this one, we, we mint them for artists. So it, it very much depends on the, on the setup. But what I think is most important, more so than the, than the, the specific mechanics, is why you're doing this stuff. Because one of the realities is that the, the good and the shitty part of crypto as of now is that extremely speculative, right? So a lot of people, or most people, I would argue, are there to make a quick buck. But to the extent that that happens, a whole bunch of funds go into it, and then a whole bunch of actual utility is created. And, and I think that's what's like truly, truly um, beautiful. The, the fact that, let's say, for instance, with, with this game, just the other day, we... We launched it, so we create this Discord, which is this community where a bunch of people talk. And then we got like 12,000 people in Discord because they're excited about the game and whatnot. And then we sold them the token and boosters, and we raised like $200,000 within 24 hours, right? So now, and now we're working on the second one, which is kind of like, a, we're working on this game that is linked to conservation and it's linked to land. So in order to preserve land, or to, in order to play the game, you have to buy land, and this land is linked to conservation land, and unfortunately it goes, so we actually end up buying more land for conservation. Like that's like the cool ESG part, right? Now, you get, we have people buying from Japan, from Southeast Asia, from all the corners of the world, and have a community of 12,000 people built over like four weeks, six weeks, you know what I mean? Where there's transfer of value from every corner of the world. You just can't do that without blockchain technology. It's just not possible. You know what I mean? So it unlocks uh, just just an ability to not just communicate with what the web did, but also transfer value. And, and that's what I think is so so powerful. And that's what, what shocks me, you know? It's just everyone is like truly, truly connected, um, at least in, 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 in a monetary form. 
So, so that's why I find so so interesting about this information, commerce, and now money. Right. Well, man, I, I really enjoy the conversation. Someone that has, uh, you know, bring a lot of energy to the entrepreneurs. I've talked to a lot of founders where they've cited you as someone who's been really helpful to them on their journey. And, you know, I know that you're really focused like I am and we are at Latitude at kind of elevating the next generation of founders. So if we were to close out here, Serrano con broche oro, what's one piece of advice that you wish an experienced founder had given you back in the early days? I think that, dude, it is very interesting because depending on the day and my mood, I'll say something different. But right now what's coming to mind is um, over-invest by like a lot, like exaggerate on talent and the time that you spend on recruiting and, and thinking about that and in getting the best people and doing reference checks and just getting like the top, top, top people. Because the difference between a top, top person, like one of those 1%, and the rest is just obscene. And if you also think about it, like I, I said, just that a startup is uh, like five irrational deals. Like a company is five people. Like one phenomenal dude can, can build or do that, they can build a sales organization. One phenomenal person that can build a product. Or one that can build a tech org or both, the same, right? Someone who can... Um, let's just say, be able to manage the operation like super, super tightly and built into that. And maybe give me one or two more, but like three, four, five people. Five irrational deals and five top people and you've got a business. You know what I mean? So I spent a lot more time on the, that would be my first advice. And the second, close irrational deals. And that's one of the things that we did a rapid day in and day out and it became the norm. And that's why some of the people that you see from Rapier commercially so strong, closely rational deals. Yeah, it's also why they're pretty good fundraising too, right? Yeah. I, yeah. And then, and then I, I just give you a third one, which is um, ask around about how to set up your cap table. It very messed up how we like fuck up a whole bunch of stuff that is completely unnecessary. And right now it's foresight. And I, I'm glad that I said it third because you should first worry about like the right people, product market fit, so on and so forth. And this is like a minor optimization. It's not going to like make or break your business by any stretch of the imagination. But it can make your life quite a lot easier as a founder when you're in a series BC or, and, and now the information's there and there's people like you, like me, like Florian, like my brother, who like know this stuff. So let's talk. And, and that's those are the three. You ask me for one, I give you three. Guys, I like it, man. I got, I got a, a la ñapa. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> this is bien colombiano, no? Yeah, is the extra. Well, cool, man. Thanks a lot for making the time. And, uh, you know, I hope Colombia, you know, wins today and you're dressed for it. So um, where can listeners stay up to date with what you're building and, and how, well, and how they, can they get involved? Well, we're, we're looking to build um, something at the intersection of um, conservation and crypto, essentially. Um, and we're looking to find ways to provide consumers with, an interesting experience and, and basically create value on top, digitally create value on top of real land for conservation. Um, and the way to get involved is, I don't know, just shoot me a, something on LinkedIn and yeah. like I'll, I'll most likely reply, almost definitely. Maybe say I, I listened to you on the Latitude podcast and so you'll, you'll know that they're high quality people. Yeah, that, that, yeah, 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 that's good. 
And, and congrats okay. on the stuff that you're building at, at Latitude. It's, it's great. I, I think that the one-to-many approaches is quite valuable for the region. And I'm going yeah, to do a little bit more of that. Thank you, man. Well, we, we love to have you in the community and, and, you know, our little kind of secret cohort we have right now that you're participating in is, uh, is, is getting off to a good start. And so thank you for being a contributor there. And, uh, and yeah, looking to co-create this with you and, and all the other great entrepreneurs in Colombia and the rest of the region. Fantastic. Thank you again for the time. And I hope everyone builds some great businesses if that's what they want to do. Yeah, man. All right. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, everyone. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Latitude Podcast with Andres Bilbao, co-founder of Rappi and Invert. Be sure to check out latitude.com to find out how to apply to our fellowship program and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts for more talks with great founders and investors like him. I'm your host, Brian Reckworth. Vamos Latam. See you next week.